Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that gives you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes, Mookie Alexander, and Victor Rodriguez. I can thank you for listening to episode 187 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined by Mookie Alexander and Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing Luke Rockhold's continued scorched earth stance with Dana White and the UFC, but mostly with Dana White this week. Eric Silva has retired after a heart attack. Asker Mozarov failed a drug test. And we're going to take a look back at the best fights from UFC 278. But before we jump into all that, we're going to check in with the guys. But honestly, this is episode 187. So we must murder this episode, guys. <laughs> uh, good, good, good reference there. So, yes, it's been a uh, it's been a bittersweet week, of course, because just about everybody knows uh, you guys have known for, for a lot longer that this is my last week of Buddy Elba. But I want to reiterate to everybody that level change is not going away. So you're in good hands with Steffi and Victor. I don't want any grand send-off next week. The only thing I want to do, of course, beyond winning the picks, because I'm still going to be making picks on this show mm-hmm. through the rest of the year. Uh, when we have our fair- or when I have my farewell next week, I want to make like Luke Rockhold and smear my blood all over both of your faces like a normal human being would. <laughs> That's okay. I deserve it. So, <laughs> so do I. Yes. I, 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 I very much accepted my fate here. I mean, I, I think it's been rather ob- evident and obvious, right? Isn't that? Uh, oh, well. Um, yeah, the week's been okay, I guess. I mean, we had after we recorded, I came down with a nasty cold. Uh, after that, I've been grilling, uh, just a lot of stress and stuff at work. And, you know, it's been good now that uh, I'm, I'm free from all those commitments. And uh, this should be a very promising weekend of me having to do a lot less and resting a lot more as i should because guess what i deserve that's right you both deserve Mm -hmm. all the good things um i've had a pretty decent week too and the weather's still overcast and raining intermittently so i'm enjoying nice cool temperatures right now it's 87 degrees at almost three o'clock in the afternoon normally this would be a hundred plus day so Super, super happy. And I have a birthday coming up. Not really happy about it, but I'm looking forward to all the free food from all the places I'm registered at, you know, when you get your free birthday meals. So I'm going to be making the birthday crawl next week. Going to be enjoying all sorts of free shit. But that's enough about that. We are going to jump into the first news topic. And as I mentioned earlier, Luke Rockhold is not pulling any punches anymore. He had an interview recently from the MMA Hour, and he revealed why he is continuing his targeting of Dana White. So I'm going to quote here. Why do you think I'm so mad at Dana? Because Dana never gave me a chance. From the moment I came to the UFC, he never gave me a fucking chance. Wrote me off. Never highlighted my years in strike force or anything I did on the wins only my losses. Dana White controls the narrative of what the public perceives, and he fucked me from the start, and it's taken me years to come back and have a fight like that and earn my respect. Nothing I did in the past mattered until now. 
all right, that's why I feel the way I feel sometimes, you know? That's why I say the things I say. You got to understand the power that you have in that situation with the narrative that you create. The public believes what you want them to believe, what you tell them to believe. Now, he finishes off here with one more big quote, and it's a good one. So I'm going to I'm going to continue on here. Everyone else garnered their attention coming in. And I looked like this kid, you know, this kid that no one wanted to respect, I guess, from him and so on. They made me go down to Steroidville and fucking Brazil and fight Vitor Belfort. Everybody else got respect and was going into world championship fights and in consideration for something, but I got nothing. Two-time defending Strikeforce champion coming in there and this is what I get. You haven't done shit. I had to go fight Vitor when they knew what they were doing back then, protecting him and motherfuckers juice to the gills. I had to get cleaned by him, knocked down, belittled by everybody, and then I had to build myself back up. I'm very good at building myself back up. And that's typical Dana White. It really is. We've discussed Dana's antics, the way he likes to throw fighters under the bus, etc., etc. If they don't get right in line, if they have any kind of pushback whatsoever, if there's any kind of family commitments, anything that prevents them from taking a fight or doing exactly what the UFC wants them to do, you immediately get dragged. And that's the breaks of it. Luke is not telling us anything here that we don't already know, but it's nice to get it from somebody within, well, that was within the, the inner sanctum there, one of the fighters, because so few of them are willing to go out publicly and say these things um it's certainly an airing of grievances but his timeline does not make sense he's saying he it took him 16 17 years to yeah. come back and give a fight like that to, to earn his respect meaning that the cost of fight so his debut was 2007 so he's been fighting as a professional for 15 years so even beyond that like he made his ufc debut in 2014 and when did strike force get purchased by zoo for like 2011 mm -hmm. so i'm not sure what his his point is there like should dana have been keeping an eye on him basically since the very beginning of his career and the the vitor fights i can give him that that uh you know gilbert melendez mm -hmm. got straight into a title fight and, mm -hmm. and gilbert melendez was um scrap pack right yes and, and not aka but so so different situation there but melendez still he got to unify, so to speak, against Benson Henderson. Mm -hmm. Luke Rockhold didn't get an immediate title shot. And I think about the other set of Strikeforce champions. Um, it seems like Gilbert was the only one who got that opportunity. Well, Rousey was just made the champion, so I don't count her. But you think about the other ones who, when Strikeforce was a Zord, Tarek Safadine. Tarek Safadine got a main event as soon as he got into the UFC. And then another one, but that he lost that. He kind of just drifted away. Uh, Dan Henderson got to fight Shogun, uh, uh, and he eventually got to challenge for a belt again. And Alistair Overeem, he he left earlier, so he left before Strikeforce closed down, and he got to go straight into the uh, UFC and then fight Brock Lesnar. But for for Rockhold, I can understand his his bitterness over the way the Vitor fight went because at that point we know the story of, of Vitor and TRT and some of the other stuff that's that's happened with. The UFC kind of sort of protecting Vitor, and, and then eventually all the commission said, all right, cut off the TRT juice. But 
Um, he did headline seven of, of, of the 12 shows that, that he, uh, well, seven of his 12 UFC fights, he was a main event fighter. I, I'm guessing he just didn't feel like, even with the, the prominent places that he was in and the fact that he was the champion, albeit briefly, he didn't necessarily get the same respect from Dana White that other champions would have. So um, I, I, I get Rockhold's anger. Uh, there are a lot of great things that he said the week before about health insurance and pay and everything else. But in this particular instance, I think there's a lot more um, bitterness uh, than there is necessarily great truth to it. The the thing with Vitor really, really sticks out to me a little bit because they were protecting him. And that retroactive TUE was bullshit. And for those that don't know, it's really funny how that came to light because they accidentally sent out a memo to all the media members in the whole entire community. It got leaked. It didn't get leaked. It was an accidental sin, right, Mookie? Yeah, I, I believe yeah, that was the case. Because even people at Bloody Elbow got got that email. I think that one of the problems here is that it's not about Dana's respect so much as about how much promotion they put behind certain champs. Like when he beat Weidman, the promotion going into that was all about Weidman. It wasn't about Luke. You know, the, uh, everything, every time that he faced anybody, it seemed like they gave him less than they gave other people. And I think that's where he was going with it more than Dana respecting him. I think respect is tied directly in for him with how much they, they promoted him or marketed him, which was not much at all. First, as far as the uh, 16, 17 years, I'm, I'm going to guess that he meant like that's how long his career was that's how long he's been in the game because he made his professional debut back in 2007 mm-hmm. um so that would put it at you know the the 16 17 year i mean well you know, the numbers uh, probably not that great maybe when he started training maybe he started training the year before because that fight was in july that year but whatever i'm not going to parse it too much um i guess the whole deal was like as far as respecting his trajectory and everything that he put into it and i I mean, look, he made some good points, but ultimately it's, uh, I mean, look, he's right. They, they they didn't really roll out the red carpet for some of the guys. He was one of the guys that it didn't seem like they were too thrilled about, even though, oddly enough, not only did he become champion, but the strike force acquisition emboldened the middleweight division more than any other in my eyes. I mean, that's where we got Romero. That's where we got, uh, you know, Rockhold and, you know, a couple other guys, you know, Lorenz Larkin um, back when he was still sort of waffling around. So, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you'd think that they'd make a little bit more of a, a deal here, and especially considering these guys made a splash, you know, Tim Kennedy included. But, but, but no, they didn't really seem to do anything with that. They didn't really – it seemed like the Strike Force guys are just there to hang around, right? The big deal with, with Tim Kennedy was to fight Hodger Gracie and the whole thing, the whole, all the noise is about Gracie. And it's like – we get it. It's lazy. It's marketable. It's easy because you have the Gracie name. And, you know, same thing happened with Rockhold. Like, yeah, well, you know, he fought some pretty tough guys, but he's in the UFC now. <laughs> and it just, you know, he, he didn't really get that kind of um, shine until he eventually ended up defeating Weidman. And, and good for him. You know, he did what he had to do. But uh, other than that, look, he, he's already out. You know, like he can say whatever he wants. Now he's on the outs. Now Dana doesn't have to worry about him. He's not anybody's problem now. He's howling at the wind at this point. If you're not inside, you can't really affect any sort of material change. And 
that's really the the sad part about this whole deal. He started saying all this stuff, not only as he was older, not only as he was, you know, with one foot out the door, but like right before what eventually became his last fight. Did he know this was going to be his last fight? Probably not. But I mean, still, you know, it, it's it's really sad in the end how all this stuff happens. But that's just that's just how these things go. You know, fighters don't really have that kind of um that kind of control or anything because if they want to keep fighting they got to stay in the good graces of management that's 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 what we saw here yet again i just want to add before we move on there's another quote here i just seen it on fighting mma fighting story and he of course had his his, his slide after losing to um after losing to bisman he, he wasn't the same again i mean he got the win over david branch but i think that's his last win mm-hmm. and then everything else was a, a, a defeat uh, uh, for the rest of his career but he also had a lot of time uh where he wasn't fighting and he said there was a quote misguided leg surgery that nearly led to his leg being amputated mm-hmm. and personally he also had uh he said he was abusing alcohol and partying a lot but the injuries were the big problem and he said i think a lot of things short my career i think the leg the misinformed leg surgery i think they fucking got me on that one pretty good, the UFC. It was a misguided surgery and not necessary and took years off my life. Took my biggest weapon out of the game. My leg, we're talking on muscle grafts and shit. It was the easier surgery. It could have been, which was supposed to be, and it set me back so many years, questioned me and everything. There's a lot of different things that, that played into factoring how it was, but it is what it is, and I wouldn't change it. Here we are, end quote. So, yeah, it feels like Rockhold, you know, Rockhold's been a, a talkative kind over the years, but over the last couple of weeks, so that means leading up to the cost of fight and now after it and now that he's officially retired, it, it feels like it's just an outpouring of emotion in ways that we've never seen out of him before. Yeah. And it, it's obviously been a frustrating time for him, both personally and, and with his career. And it's probably just the difficulty of coming to grips with it. I mean, part of it might have been just being concussed from that many shots that he took against Costa. But the, the outpouring of emotion from him in that post-fight interview was was so telling. Yeah. And uh, the the clip I was telling you about where he's walking to the back and he looks so dejected. He's walking, he's looking down and he's mumbling something. And then, you know, somebody puts a hand on his shoulder. He turns around real quick, like what now? And he sees it's Daniel and he just busts out crying and hugs him so tight, man, that broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, 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 it really was uh, that you see that you see him being overwhelmed in that moment. And, you know, there is there is a sort of a, a pang of, of sort of uh, that shock and that that recognition in there. You know, I mean, if anybody knows what Luke had been going through of all the people that were there, it had to be Daniel. So, I mean, that that was actually rather uh, a bit of a tender moment. We don't we don't get enough of those when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is a hard game and a hard life, and it gets even more complicated when you look at outside factors. And that's what we're going to pivot to next, because former UFC and Bellator fighter Eric Silva, he had a mother of all health scares not too long ago and has announced his retirement. Now, here's what ended up happening, right? He contracts COVID-19, as many of us have, and it turns out he seems to have had that long COVID that affected him in the hardest of ways. So here's what he said when he talked to uh, Globo Sport when he uh, was discussing the uh, what, what led to the whole deal, how this whole thing manifested itself. Quote, back in June of 2021, I had a heart attack. I couldn't train for a year and a half. I had gone for a session with George Don Pegueriano, and I made too much of an effort. We did a five-round session, and I felt a sharp pain in my chest. I thought it was just muscle fatigue. I didn't understand what was going on. 
I went home, played with my son in the pool, even while in pain. The pain would only ease off with some breathing exercises. It wouldn't stop, though. So I got in the car, drove myself to the hospital. We did some tests, and they showed that my heart enzymes were too high, and I got admitted. I stayed in the ICU for a week. My cardiologist said it was most likely a consequence of COVID-19 because they had found a thrombus in coronary artery, and that was preventing my blood from flowing. I was staying put for a while. Then I did some routine exams. It showed my heart's anatomy was perfect. But this was a decisive factor in me deciding not to fight anymore. Okay, first off, let's break down the fight stuff, okay? He ends up with a career record of 20 wins, 11 losses, and one no contest. 14 years of fighting. He took on some very tough dudes, suffered some pretty brutal losses. He did really, you know, maybe didn't accomplish the great heights that a lot of people would have expected of him or would have wanted him to achieve. But seeing as his last fight was in June of 2019 and, you know, it already been enough time, maybe he's still under Bellator contract since he only had two fights under that organization. Did he really need to come back after this? Come on, look, he's making the right move here. His health is most important. And listen to what he was doing this whole time. He was out there playing with his kid. Well, you got to leave your kid without a dad? Nah, not if you can avoid it. Hey, Hopefully, he's got himself put together. Apparently, he's got a job in the financial sector out in Brazil, and he's doing fairly well for himself. So he probably doesn't really need to fight at all. And if that is the case, well, then great. You know, the only thing we can do is wish him the absolute best, hope that his condition improves, that he doesn't have any sort of setbacks, and that the the heart attack that he had, as well as the effects of long COVID, don't become something worse in the future. What are we to make of this situation? I mean, are we going to hear more stories like this? Or at least how many more stories, I guess I should ask. How many more stories like this are we to expect from fighters that have had uh, complications after COVID-19? And, you know, what what really is this going to look like in the future? Man, that's scary, though. It really is. What a cautionary tale. <laughs> Wear your masks and get your vaccinations. I mean, my God, this is that that's scary. But like, I mean, what more can you add to the story than you already have, Victor? I mean, all we can do is wish him the best and and hope that he ha- that it, the rest of his life is uh, as complication free as possible. I hope he doesn't come back. He, he he should continue on in in his retirement. I hope Bellator doesn't give him any problems. I doubt they would. Scott Coker seems like a pretty decent guy in that regard. Um, yeah, I mean, what else is there? Well, if there is a silver lining, it appears that Eric has his own uh, has some steady job outside of fighting because what our pal Lucas wrote, uh, Lucas Resende, it's that he has a, a um, Eric Silva Institute, which is a social project uh, that teaches martial arts to poor children, and that's in his hometown, and he's got a job in the financial market. Wow. Um, so hopefully financial market didn't be crypto or anything, but still, um, that's good for Eric Silva. And that in itself should hopefully dissuade him from ever coming back because, well, once you get to, to playing around with your heart, I mean, that, that that's, that's really scary stuff. And we've seen that even if you have been vaccinated, if you, even if you've been boosted, I mean, this is more protecting against s- severe illness and, and hospitalization compared to protecting against infection. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, flu vaccines it doesn't mean you ironclad and can't get the flu but it's gonna hopefully prevent the worst case scenario but we hadn't heard from him in the last couple years because he hadn't fought since 2019 which was the loss to paul daly and bellator and now that we find this out it kind of just takes everybody aback 
and it shows you how serious this virus is and continues to be. The pandemic is not over, despite the way that most people are going about their lives. I mean, there are new variants coming in seemingly all the time. One will be more dominant than the other. Hopefully one won't be more severe than the other. But, you know, Eric Silva, if we could go to his fighting career, I mean, we, we joked, but he really was the eternal prospect because when he came in from jungle fights, and one in like 40 seconds and then the next fight he got dq'd because of strikes to the back of the head what we saw those first three fights of his career he looked like the real deal like a like a new age welterweight contender such that the ufc gave him john fitch in his fourth fight and he drew an exciting fight out of john fitch Mm -hmm. i mean he lost clearly but that was one of john fitch's most entertaining fights and probably his most entertaining win ever and from there, it, it, it just got wildly inconsistent for him, like getting wiped out by Dong Hyun Kim, the frequency of which he gassed out. But we, we knew that Eric Silva, he, he was a really exciting fighter, heavily reliant on his athleticism. But um, it, it just didn't work out that he ended up reaching his potential, fulfilling his potential, I guess you could say. But I wish him the best. I wish his family the best. It is, uh, it, it is always a, a troubling thing when you find out that – this virus has ended up causing other serious health problems and a heart attack at such a young age, man, and presumably a healthy in shape fighter. It can happen to anybody. All right. Now we are going to move on from a couple of former UFC fighters, Luke Crockold and Eric Silva to another former UFC fighter, except this guy will not be remembered fondly. He will be one of the more infamous fighters in UFC history. Oscar Majarov. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, he, uh, he fought, what, what, last week? Not not last week, a, a few weeks back. He had his UFC debut against Alonzo Menafield, and uh, he looked terrible. He looked like he didn't belong in the UFC. Now, if you don't remember his story, his record looked all right, 24-7. and seven. And then Sherdog, the, the, the sleuths that they are, they took another look at his record. And then come fight night, his real record was 17-12. and 12, And after that... He ended his UFC career at 17 and 13. So it's one thing to pad your record. It's another thing to pad your record and then look terrible in your one UFC appearance. But it's the worst possible thing altogether when after you've already been cut, MMA Junkies reported that uh, Majorov just failed a drug test, an in-competition drug test by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. He tested positive for a, quote, metabolic modulator, the kind of substance often used in the sporting world to suppress the negative effects of steroid use. So it is in the similar class of drugs that led to the drug test failures of Brock Lesnar and John Jones. So Mazarov and his team have been in communication, and Mazarov, in the meantime, will be temporarily suspended. Uh, apparently, this was not part of the threshold for USADA for USADA to flag him, but still, the commission may have their own thing here. It is a GW1516 cell phone, so it's a hormone and metabolic modulator. So uh, Mazarov, you failed a drug test, you faked your record, and, and you've looked terrible in your one UFC appearance. The only th- question I have is, how did this get by the UFC match? The drug test, okay, fine. I mean, they, they can't do anything about that. But how did the UFC get duped here? They don't normally get this this badly duped. And I got to say, Majorov, first-class Hall of Shame, because the story on him, it feels like we're not done yet. It's like after he's done with the suspension, there's going to be some other crazy stuff that comes out of, out of, this, dude's, out of this dude's history. Oh, and I can't wait. I'm here for it. I mean, this has been one of the most interesting stories ever. But the UFC isn't exactly notorious for doing their due diligence. How many fighters 
have they put on the roster and then either cut them before they ever uh, made their debut or right after? What was the big guy's name that was the the Nazi guy? Was it um, Cody East or was he the... the... Well, he he had a couple of fights, but he had had the... um... Domestic yeah, multiple violence. criminals, and and he yeah. had like the the, the uh, physical abuse of a child, I believe that, it was. There were a couple of other fighters that I think had right. either neo-Nazi tattoos. I think it was his name was it might have been a German fighter, Benjamin Brinson. Oh, like Ben Brinson, yeah, the soccer hooligan. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah. German welterweight. He yes. never got to. He never actually got to fight, but it's because like it was a week of just constant everybody talking about right. it. But yeah, they, the, yeah. But the point I'm making is, is they're not notorious for doing due diligence. It's basically. Yeah the community doing the diligence for them i mean and it doesn't just extend to fighters remember the the nazi sponsor that uh, sponsored <laughs> mac danzig and the ufc had to get rid of that because yeah Helzer Reich. Reich. they sponsored serrani at one point that's the name of it helzer reich i mean they let mac come out there and several donald serrani was even sponsored by helzer reich very briefly but they let so many fighters come out literally wearing nazi regalia the the ss the the 84 or 87 88 whatever the number is That's uh, the, yeah i mean just there was a modified swastika on one of them and the ufc i mean it took them several fights and the community going ape shit before they did anything about it so this is not surprising to me in the least kudos to the ones that started snapping to what was going on so that we could get this juicy story I, it, it's more than the fact that it's a juicy story. It's like, okay, fine. You know, you, you lied about your record. You changed your name a couple of times. You you did a couple of things there that were uh, not kosher. Okay, you know what? I'm not really going to hold that so much against him in principle at first. But then it starts to get worse because you're like, okay, what else is this guy hiding? Right? What other what other reasons does this guy have to be doing this? And then you start to think, well, what if he's actually involved in something bigger? We don't know, of course, if that's the case or not, but we're not, you know, without speculating things any further, let's look at the facts that we do have. Guy lied about his record. He patted about the thing. He changed his name a couple of times. He takes his fight. He looks horrid in that fight. I mean, as I mean, at least as, as far as how I expected him to look. And then on top of that, he pisses hot. And you're like, well, dude, you couldn't even get the good steroids? If you're going to cheat, <laughs> God damn, you can't even, like, you're gonna, how are you going to look like that? How? How are you gonna do that? Victor said you didn't even get the good steroids. You, you took you you took you took a prohibited substance of some sort, and you still look like shit, bro. You this probably ain't for you. Need to go like go go to Lithuania and dig ditches or something. You need to go get a job somewhere. Go to Thailand, open a pool hall, or something. Just stay away from this shit. This is not for you. And then on top of that, let's not forget the allegations that he was attempting to uh, emulate McGregor with the tattoo and the thing. Remember that bit? Pepperidge Farm remembers. I don't forget none of that embarrassing shit. Yeah, the dude, the guy's a head case, and it's crazy. Like, this is one of those guys. After the whole record thing popped off, I guess probably they wanted to keep that fight that for that week to not screw over the other guy, right? To at least make sure that he got a payday, because I'm pretty sure they knew at that point what the, uh, the what all signs were pointing towards, and the fight went exactly as it was supposed to go. The guy was a can crusher at best, and he got crushed this time around. He couldn't hang with the big leagues. He wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. And now we have this. 
So it's like adding insult to injury. You're like, you're just, you're just, you're, you're stomping in pig shit with both feet on the way out. <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, if, if this is supposed to be a PED, or, you know, if this is going to be a PED violation, performance enhancing, I dread to think how he would have fought if he was clean. I mean, goodness. What, what are he, you he enhancing, my guy? What are you enhancing, Habibi? What is? What is? No, you no no. You need to get some some black ant king something. You don't don't do this. Whatever the hell this is. Yeah. Where's the dodgy dick pill when you need it? And, and the gas station dick pill. But you know what? This reminds me of, and it is one of the very first stories that I remember actually putting legwork into for Bloody Elbow. Uh, Deshaun Johnson, who didn't pad his record, in other words, in terms of like fake fights that didn't exist and and aliases, but. He explode, was right? padding his record with ex- through Explode Fight Series. Yeah. And he was just beating up dudes with, with losing records and, and guys who were basically there to, to get a, a, the most meager of paychecks. And then as soon as he got into the UFC, he fights Jake Matthews and Godofredo Pepe. And then he loses both. At least the Matthews fight was, I guess, semi-competitive, but he lost quickly to Godofredo Pepe. And then he never fought in MMA again. The funny thing is he's actually a pretty decent journeyman boxer. But in terms of his MMA record, it was as padded as could be. And the UFC really should have never signed him or really any of those fighters out of Explode Fight Series. Uh, the, the, the ones that were doing like extraordinary can can't. Oh, yeah. So, Majorov is even worse than Deshaun Johnson because Deshaun actually won his fights. Majorov <laughs> was can crushing and also losing badly to other non to like not good fighters and some semi notable ones too. So like, how did this happen? Uh, there there needs to be a docu series on how Askar Majorov tricked the UFC. This is no that that is true. There, there needs to be some kind of like either a thirty for thirty or one of those untolds. Like it would be the absolute most hilarious of them all. I mean, I remember Willell Watson. Remember that guy? There was like like four or five of those guys that they 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 wouldn't do well in the UFC. They go to explode. They bolster their record with three four wins in a row, and then they'd come back in. Which is, you know, it's not like what some of these guys are doing in uh, in contender series where they're, you know, if, if you really want the answer to the question who crushes the can crushes, well, contender series will answer that question for you in various forms. And and that's probably not that's that's a more extended conversation for another time. But but that is really what it is. It's guys just trying to get in the good graces to get into the big show, but then once they're there they can't hang and this is what we saw here and it's like you know you kind of you as much as i always say look you respect the fighters for stepping in there and doing the thing that i don't do but at the same time bro like you know they're saying for you this just no don't do it just stop <laughs> you know uh we're talking about Oscar Mozarov pissing hot and it always takes me back to the greatest scam of all time when i believe it was I don't, don't quote me on this, but I'm almost positive it was Kevin Randleman that had the fake bladder with someone else's urine. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That yeah. is probably the greatest thing ever. Who wasn't, does that? You know, wasn't, wasn't there a fighter that had a wizenator? They had a they had yes. a fake piece. Yes. And, yes. And it yes. was the way they found out. From what I remember, was because it was like the wrong skin tone. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yes, I mean, I'm just I you know, that. you know. Yes, what it is, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah the, the the good old wizard. I remember that the first time an NFL running back. I think he was playing for Minnesota, and he had uh, he had the, the ultimate wizard, like the fake penis bladder, everything. He had everything ready, and of course he got suspended for a year. But uh, I, I can't remember the MMA fighter who used the wizardator. Well, didn't it wasn't? I think Phil Baroni was the one. Phil Baroni didn't Tiago Silva also have a fake? No, Baroni uh, didn't use a wizardator. 
he never used a whizinator. He was very okay. blunt about uh, exactly what he did. Too. Okay, but it was yeah, because I, I heard a story that. about how like he handed in a urine sample and they're like, "Oh wait, we didn't see you urinate. You got to give another one." And he looked the guy in the face and said, "That's all you're gonna get." And that's, he walked away. Yep, that's Phil Baroni. But no, that sounds like that sounds like something Phil Baroni would do yeah. for all his misgivings. That that was pretty badass. But uh, no, Tiago Silva was he handed in whatever he turned in wasn't human urine. I remember that part of. Oh yeah, it was it was some it, it was simply lemonade actually. Yeah. Was, um, the, yeah. uh, it was some other <laughs> specimens. Wasn't it from a pig or something? I I, I want to say it was from a pig, but in any event, no Randleman he had the he had the whole fake setup, the bladder and the the penis and everything else. That's what he used. But you the, the wizardator, I can't remember who that was. <laughs> You know, The Wire has been off the air for like, what, 15 or so years? Yeah. You know, did we not learn anything? You buy it from the daycare. That's what you do. That's what you do. I mean, come on, man. Think a little bit outside the box, man. Oh, my God. He's only telling us how to get the fake urine. <laughs> yeah, but this is also, and I, I know I'm not the first person to think of this question. I think Chil Sonnen brought this up at one point as well. But I got to wonder, okay, what does it say about him that he submitted this fake urine or something like that? That's that's a question you can ask of a fighter in any situation. But then you think, wait a minute, what does it say about the people around him that he can't find somebody to piss for him? Where is this? And maybe they'll probably mess it up, be like, uh, actually, uh, it turns out you're pregnant. Like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I don't know. That that was an actual skit in Reno 911. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yes. yes, that's true. Oh, my God. Oh. This dumb sport that we can come up with random TV sick comedy shows that, that have the that mirror real life. Because this entire sport is comedy. All of this is laughable, juvenile, and stupid. However, we're going to move on to something that is not stupid. And that is an absolute fire matchup that's been added to UFC 281, Madison Square Garden. You're going to be getting the big ones. You're going to be getting the, the big fireworks on this one. Peru's own Claudio Puelles is going to be taking on the down-under assassin Dan Hooker. Yeah, baby. I love it. It's beautiful. It's been reported. Both of them have been uh, confirming this on social media, so it appears that at least it's been at minimum, uh, agreed to verbally, if not signed outright already. Uh, it's a good fight to me. I mean, this is great. This is, uh, I, I don't know how many superlatives to put on this. You know, you look at the fact that Hooker was out here uh, making his way to 145, and then he decided, yeah, this probably isn't the uh, place for me to stay, and he decided to move back up. Boyes has been out here looking sensational. Uh, even though he didn't have the ending that he wanted on the Ultimate Fighter Latin America, you know, he was able to do a lot. And as, of course, one of the most um, sensational submissions of the year thus far, his win over Clay Guida with the rolling knee bar that looked like something out of the Dead or Alive game series. Shout out to my boy Bayman. Uh, yeah, this this is this is perfect. This is absolutely sublime matchmaking making it is somewhat divisionally relevant even if they're not exactly in the top five they don't have to be for this to be one of those deals where like okay the winner here clearly needs to get an even bigger step up and could potentially be in serious consideration for being in line in one of those top three or four spots for fighting for the title next so what do we think about this match do you love it as much as i do does it make as much sense as i think it does and how do you think it goes yes yes and i think this is a very competitive matchup because 
holy crap, Puelas and, you know, his submission game is ridiculous. And four of those seven submission wins out of his 12 wins, four of them are knee bars. His last two wins in a row were knee bars. He had one deci- two decisions in between, boom, another knee bar. Couple of fights back, boom, another knee bar. This guy is a knee bar prince. His wins in the UFC, Jordan Leavitt, Chris Gritzmacher, Clay Guida. Chris Gritzmacher, a notoriously tough, gritty dude, ditto Clay Guida. I think the Clay Guida and Chris Gritzmacher stand out a little more than Jordan Leavitt right now just because of how tough they are. So to actually get knee bars over both of those guys, that says something. This this could very well be Preyas' fight, but, uh, you know, I, I like... I like that they're giving Dan a, a little bit of a step down because this is a step down. Hopefully Dan will be able to get back on track, but I, I like both guys. I don't care who wins. It's a banger of a fight, though. Yeah, it's really good matchmaking because play, as we know, prefers his grappling submission skills. And unlike a, a certain other knee bar specialist throughout his UFC tenure, Puyas actually lets go of his knee bars yeah. when when the other person taps. So <laughs> Hooker should be in good <laughs> Hooker should be in good good standing with Puyas in case he gets caught in one of those things. But um, this is a this is really a must win for Dan Hooker. Like for Puyas, if he loses to Dan Hooker, all right, so we can pump the brakes on him making any run into the top ten anytime soon. But for Hooker, he's lost four out of five. But his his string of fights dating back to when he knocked out Gilbert Burns at lightweight. Heck, we could go further back. He might have one of the toughest strengths of schedule in the entire UFC for somebody who's never even fought for a title. I mean, you think about he fought Yair Rodriguez in his fourth UFC fight. He fought Hatsu Hiyoki in his third UFC fight and knocked him out. That's where people started to take notice of how good he he actually was. But after the Jason Knight loss, I mean, he fought Ross Pearson, Mark Giacchese, Jim Miller, one of two people ever to knock Jim Miller out knocked out Gilbert Burns and sent him out of the weight class, got stopped by Edson Barboza, but Barboza had to do everything possible to knock him out. James Vick, Ali Aquinta, Paul Felder, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Nazrat Hakpras, Issa Makachev, Arnold Allen. That is a murderer's row mm-hmm. of fighters that he's facing. And Hakparas is his only win over his last fight. But even Hakparas, he's a dude who is a really entertaining, dangerous striker. And Hooker looked good in that fight. But, you know, Poyas presents a different sort of sort of challenge. Um, certainly when he fought Makachev, Makachev just owned him on the mat. Uh, but Makachev owns pretty much everybody in the mat. I, I think Poyas, that's going to be fascinating if it hits the ground. So I think Hooker would be well advised to keep that on the feet as much as possible. One thing I worry about Hooker, um, it's a, for, for a couple things. One, how much have these battles with Poirier and Felder and Chandler, all those types of fights have taken out of him? And two, hopefully it, he hasn't screwed up his weight because of that ill-fated 145 return. I think he should stay at 155. Hell, given his frame, 170 mm-hmm. at, at six feet tall is not, it, it is not an inconceivable idea. Right. Yep, so UFC 281's looking good, man. I mean, you got Izzy and Pereira, you got Esparza and Zhang Lee, but they, 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 there are some other fights that were announced for this car. Like, uh, I think Matt Favola is fighting Otman Azatar, so that's going to be a, a banger. That's a good fight, yep. You, yeah, Carolina Kovalkovic is back against Silvana Gomez-Juarez. You've got Hanato Moicano against Brad Riddell. Love it. 
Yes, absolutely terrific fights. Uh, Mike Trezano against Sung Woo Choi is an all right fight. I mean, this this is a good show for the the return to Madison Square Garden on the 30th anniversary of uh, of their very first UFC show. So, it's could also a big night for City Kickboxing, right? I mean, you got Adesanya, you got Hooker, Brad Riddell still with City Kickboxing, right? Yep. I'm pretty sure he is. So uh, hopefully that's a, a really good night for them. And uh, we keep getting these good fight announcements. I've just seen while recording this, there are a couple other fights put on the timeline here. Uh, I think Cade Cypress might have reported them. One of them was Clay Guida against Scott Holtzman, which honestly, how have they not fought each other? They've been in the UFC. Guida's been around in the UFC since I was a teenager. And then um, Scott Holtzman's been in the UFC for a really long time too. And Angela Hill... Uh, of course, we can't go two weeks without an Angela Hill fight booking. Right? <laughs> so she's fighting Emily Ducote. We remember her, her epic head kick knockout over an Invicta against Daniel Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's that could be a tricky fight for Angela Hill. And it's a good test, too, for Ducote to see if you can beat Angela Hill. I know Angela's record isn't the, the, the greatest, but usually if you can beat Angela Hill, you're going to be a future contender. Yep. So all these good fights coming on to, to, to wrap up 2022. I thought you were going to say that Clay Guida had been in the UFC since you were in diapers. Yeah, yeah, probably. Wouldn't have been wrong. You know? Wouldn't have been wrong. Nope. <laughs> yep, since uh, I don't remember when his, the, the specific year. It might have been 2005 or 2006 uh, when he fought, uh, I think it was Sammy Schiavo. But, yeah, Clay Guida's been around forever. He's still chugging along. But, man, when Puella submitted him, that is, is as in pain as I've ever seen Clay Guida. I mean, that, that, we, we know that he's the weird guy who, even after he gets stopped, he will do a lap around the cage like a maniac mm-hmm. and then do his customary burps. But mm-hmm. when Puez took his knee home, he, he wasn't doing any of that. Nah, he's, he's, he didn't need no Pepto-Bismol. His stomach was very quiet. Yeah, it was super quiet. I don't think it was Sammy Schiavo he, he debuted against, by the way. I know it was somebody else. Uh, yeah, he, he fought Schiavo in 2008. His UFC debut was against a guy named Justin James in 2006. Awesome. Yeah, well, the more you know. Anyway, let's recap what happened at UFC 278. We all went three and three, but we didn't take the same path to it. Well, Stephanie and I did. But uh, we were wrong on Alexander Romanov against um, Marcin Tybura. Romanov gassed in about five minutes. But if you watch Contender Series on Tuesday, uh, somebody, another heavyweight, managed to gas even quicker than that. Uh, the, the guy in the, in the main event, Reyes, I think is his name. And he might be one of the worst dudes I've ever seen yet on Contender Series. So Romanov at least has the excuse of he was at high elevation. Tyson Pedro easily beat Harry Huntsucker. Uh, Lucy Pudilova took apart uh, Wu Yanan. We were wrong on Josie Aldo and Murad Devalis. Really, Does anybody believe Aldo's retired for real? Or was that like a heat of the moment thing? I think heat of the moment. He better not retire. I'll be so sad. Yeah, I'd be sad too, but if that's what makes him happy, like, all right, I guess. It's not about his happiness, it's about mine. Oh, well, not kidding. <laughs> Time for a Legends card. Robbie Lawler, Jose Aldo, like all, all the great legends of MMA in very obviously one-sided fights for them to win. Yes, yes. We need happy nostalgia. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Victor, you picked Rockhold over Costa. That didn't work, but tell you what, there were a couple moments where I thought, oh, my God, Rockhold is half dead here, but he might be able to hurt Costa and knock him out. He hurt him a couple of times. Yeah, so, uh, I, I, Steffi and I have give, given our thoughts about the fight, but was that the perfect dumb fight for you, Victor? You know what bothered me about it is the fact that, like, neither guy could finish each other because they were both gassed out, although Luke was definitely on the worst end of it. Um, 
I, it was whatever. I, I, I didn't really enjoy watching it. So, and I enjoy the hell out of it. And I know when MMA depressed us has another show coming soon, they absolutely have to put that one right into, to, to a, <laughs> that needs to be in the upper echelon of MMA depressed us. Uh, in fact, by the way, just a shameless plug for them, uh, Zane and Connor, they're doing a, a depressed us one fight in each division from this year, middleweights, light heavyweights and heavyweights. And they're with Hamdi Abdel Wahab against Dante Mays for heavyweights, Drikas Duplessis oh against Brad Tavares. And then I think the one that I haven't listened to the show yet, but if it didn't break Connor, uh, maybe future depressed us will. Volkan Uzdemir and Paul Craig. <laughs> oh, my God. Look, I, I love Zane. He needs to be under the jail for this. <laughs> okay, so lastly, Victor, you you were one of only two people on the entire Bloody Elbow staff to pick Leon Edwards. And outside of round one, it was like, like an Usman win all the way. But he came up with the head kick for the ages. They've clearly been uh, setting that up. Or, or at least preparing for that, and it worked to perfection when he absolutely needed it the most. Th- this fight's a week old now, or, or just about. I still can't believe it happened. Like I got to keep watching it. Like, did that really just happen? <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, it's like, okay, first round, like, yeah, this is kind of what I expected. You know, outside of the takedown, obviously, I was like, yeah, this, this is kind of what I thought was was gonna, you know, like, okay, a couple more rounds of this. Didn't really play out that way, man. <laughs> And then we get the the exclamation point at the end, which is like, okay, I I figured he was capable of that. I just I didn't expect that to happen either way. Like you know, you know when someone has the potential to do something, but it's like maybe this isn't the fight to do it, or this isn't the opponent that he'd be able to do this against. Boy, howdy, did he prove everybody wrong? Pound for pound, headshot, dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the crowd the crowd reacted brilliantly. John Anik had a great call of it. Joe Rogan's reaction for for once that felt like all of us instead of like the exaggerated reaction for the camera that was probably a whole lot of people thinking that did that really just happen in front of my eyes but can we have Leon Edwards's coach be like uh, uh, an MMA motivational speaker I hated his coaching I absolutely could not stand it because from the beginning of the fight it didn't give him any constructive coaching throughout the whole fight. It was just yelling and screaming. And one of the times it was like, I think it was get your ass out there or get your fucking ass out there. Something like that. But it just didn't seem like constructive cornering at all. I like to hear him when they like James Krause is great at telling them, you know, he's doing this. I need you to do this counter with that. Yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the kind of cornering I want to hear. I hate that motivational stuff, especially the kind that they were <clears> giving <throat> him. Now I know he came out and he said that he, you know, is grateful for his corner, getting him back in that headspace. But to me, it seemed like they weren't doing shit the whole time. They were entertaining me. It's more of his accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry for yourself you know that that that, that sort of deal i mean uh, what what was chris farley's uh matt something on, on snl oh uh, yeah yeah i don't remember the character's name yeah, yeah. I don't know. for it, me it, chris farley will always um be the guy and tommy boy and he's got the, he's on the airplane and he's doing the uh him and david spade are doing the instructional for how you use the inflatable devices and he yeah. inflates <laughs> his and he has to poke it with a pen and david spade goes he's a big dumb animal that's the thing that sticks out most to me about chris farley yeah so 
our standings unchanged because obviously we have the same record. So I'm in first at 96, 57 and three. Steffi's in second at 94, 59 and three. Victor uh, comfortably in last 85, 68 and three. He has eight. That's right. He has a firm grip on last place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, there's no UFC. There's no Bellator. There's no PFL. Uh, but there's one championship. This goes up on Friday. Well, Friday night, Amazon Prime. Uh, the first one championship show on Amazon. We will pick that fight. And the main event, Adriana Moraes against Demetrius Johnson, Act 2. Now, this one card's been weird because one's um, weigh-in policy, weigh-in system, is confusing as hell. And it feels like uh, it, once they ever get to the U.S. and start dealing with athletic commissions, I don't know how their structure is going to work because Moraes apparently missed weight. And then suddenly, I guess in a few hours' time, we'll know if he, he made it later on. But they've got hydration tests and everything else. But for now, Mariah's Mighty Mouse 2 is happening. Mighty Mouse is, I believe, a, like a, a slight underdog. Mariah's knocked out Mighty Mouse in the first fight. Can he do it again? Yeah, he could do it again. But I'm taking Mighty Mouse. I think that he will make the proper adjustments. He's a very cerebral fighter. And... I don't know if Matt Hume still coaches him, but Matt Hume is a super good coach. Uh, so I'm going to say that it's going to be Demetrius because I feel like he'll make the necessary changes to get the win. I agree. I think he's going to be smart enough to, you know, not only adjust to Moraes, who deserves more credit for being, I mean, the guy is a very, very legit guy. And I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. Well, obviously caught all of us by surprise because of how good Mighty Mouse is, but I think caught a lot of people by surprise because they didn't really know who Marais was or, or how good he is and, and how smart he's capable of fighting. But now with the uh, uh, detail in mind that uh, ground strikes or, you know, knees and kicks to, to grounded opponents are legal, you know, hey, maybe uh, DJ can dish out some of those of his own. So I, I guess I'm, I'm going to stick with him, I suppose. But uh, I'm not feeling 100% confident in it because Morais is really, really, really good. And, uh, you know, if he wins again, this this could be one of those deals where, like, yeah, this is a, a another star-making type performance. And uh, I, I just – I don't know really what, really what else. There wouldn't be any shame in Demetrius losing, but – I just, uh, <laughs> God, it would it would definitely upset the apple cart in some ways. You know, this is crazy because DJ's only lost four times in his career. So this is the first time he's ever had a chance to avenge a loss because mm. he lost to Brad Pickett's, I think, in his very first WC. And that's was when he was like a, a, the, the most part-time of part-time fighters. He wasn't yeah. training. He didn't have any a, any full commitment to a gym or anything. And then he lost to Dominic Cruz up at Bantamweight's. I really wish we could have seen them fight again down the line. But ultimately, I think him just being too small for cruisers is going to be an issue forever. Then he had his, quote, loss to Henry Cejudo. And now he's been knocked out by Adriana Marais. So this is his chance to get it back. And I tell you what, Marais is no joke. I mean, just because he's never been in any big promotion, meaning the USC Bellator has been in one championship for like half of his career. Doesn't mean the dude can't fight. He is super talented. I mean, he's got very good submissions, especially his chokes. His chokes are no joke. So if this goes to the ground, Mighty Mouse does not have this unlock at all. And then with the the strikes to a grounded opponent, the the head strikes to a grounded opponent, we saw what Marais can do with the damage there. I mean, he can match Demetrius in the clinch. I mean, he's his strength is underrated. I'm. It's tempting to to just go with Demetrius Johnson because of the familiarity and the fact that he's one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. But there's the other part of me going, you know, he's 36 years old. 
and that's young for heavyweight, but at flyweights and with the career that he's had, even it can go on you in an instant. So even if he's not in his absolute best, I feel like Marais is at the point where this really is a deserving 50-50 fight. And to flip a coin, I got to split split from you two uh, in the picks and go with Marais to to get it done again. I think he's going to win a decision. Um, if Demetrius can get a foothold on the feet and, and just work his combinations and maybe try and go for takedowns himself and then work from top position and then not be too careless in, in Marais's guard, that could get quite interesting. But I got to go with Marais. So Steffi and Victor picking Mighty Mouse. I am going with Adriano Marais. So we're, we're not having a bloody elbow staff picks for this, but we will have coverage of it. And we're very much looking forward to the event. So if you got every reason to subscribe to Amazon Prime, then uh, you, you can go check that out in the evening. <laughs> yes, I knew we would get one, yeah. Jeff, one, Jeff, one more Jeff Bezos reference. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to wrap the show. Do me a favor. Follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. Myself at Crooklyn MMA. The show at Level Change Pod. We're also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash levelchangepodcast. Mookie is the managing editor over at SB Nation's Field Goals website, so do visit him there. And Victor has an outstanding Instagram. That's Victor Sinister Rodriguez. Check him out there. Man, he has so many good food photos up this week. My God, go look. (laughs) And... Listen to Mookie's dulcet tones because he's going to tell you where you can find this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow podcasts. Excuse me again. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, Hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>